0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.
1: All right, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I want you to try to put yourself in Paul's shoes. Sometimes we just think of Paul as so, you know, ethereal, so not of this world. Uh, But he was just a normal human being, all right? He was a person. He had, you know, he got calloused hands. He got a tired heart. He was hungry. And uh, he had burdens for people. And he spent his whole life uh, pursuing legalism, pursuing the law, you know, a Judaizer, a, a Pharisee. And for the last three weeks, we've we've mentioned two threats that he was combating against. These threats were the Galatians turning back to self-reliance, to the law, right, legalism, and threat two, uh, running forward beyond grace, all right? we, We looked at four words last week, antinomianism, that big word, which is a belief system that unlike the legalistic Judaizers, they believed in no law antinomian means no law against the law and then we looked at the word opportunity uh, uh, don't give the don't let grace be an opportunity for you to sin opportunity is the word base station it's like it, there are things in our lives that can become the gateway for all of our other sins to launch through right and we're like well that's my excuse for doing this and he says don't do it and then number 3 flesh the flesh as a battleground legalism leads to spiritual competition which is going to destroy the church if it doesn't get put in check. And then finally, that fourth big word, love your neighbor as yourself. That was a big one. That was a mouthful, which is the basic fulfillment of all the law. So I think Paul knew legalism so well, and the other side of it, that he he knew that it was going to destroy these Galatian churches that had been planted in these four different uh, areas. And so he writes this letter, and he wants to give them a remedy, a solution to all this. And that solution is in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Why don't we stand back up, get some calisthenics this morning in honor of God's word. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. These are the words of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the of desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do but if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law now Kent Edwards was supposed to pray today but we need to pray for him because he had to go to the ER this morning had some little breathing issues I think he's going to be okay I checked on him but I'm going to ask my wife Vicki to come and uh, she didn't know this she <laughs> right. pray.
0: okay let's pray lord i thank you so much um just to be here today lord i do pray for kent lord that you would just um, be with him as he said that you are right now god Um i pray that you would bless his service lord i pray that you would bless <clears throat> the teaching of your word i pray for Went, lord that you would just um just guide his heart as he shares what you've laid on his heart lord i pray that our hearts and our ears would receive it god um and that you would just um bless our time here today lord i thank you for this church lord and these people and the faithfulness lord to you um to be here each week god and i thank you for their encouragement to us as a family lord As when um through your guidance tries to lead this church uh, according to your will and your ways god and god i just thank you and um, we love you lord and pray that you would just um that your name would be honored Uh, Through the teaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, babe. Y'all can be seated. So Paul begins uh, this passage with these words, but I say. You know, it Which it doesn't mean it's not scriptural. He's just saying, I'm trying to tell you something, verse 16, which is setting the stage for the whole next section, which is going to run up to chapter 6, verse 10, but we'll cover those later, right? So he's going to explain, in short summary, a principle that applies to all these Galatian problems. And what is that principle? What's that remedy? Well, it's four words in English, but it's actually just two words in the Greek. But the four words are walk by the Spirit walk by the Spirit, but in the Greek, it it literally says, "It's literally two words: Spirit walk." Spirit comes first. <laughs> it said, "Which it, the way it's translated is by the Spirit walk." Right, and this is what we'll call to begin this morning a good offense. Right, Galatians five sixteen says, "But I say walk by the Spirit." And most of us are familiar with the phrase, you know, the best defense is a good offense, right? We apply this to all sorts of things, sports, war, law, you know. As a matter of fact, in martial arts, they they stress some forms of martial arts a stress they stress attack over defense. Certain types of kung fu use the phrase, the hand which strikes also blocks right? You're blocking. If I'm striking you, you're, you're probably not, uh, I'm probably blocking something you could have done. And Paul knew this was true. So he says, by the spirit, walk, get moving. And Paul gives four words here to describe this good offense. And the first of these is everyone. Everyone should walk by the spirit. This is not a spirited walk. This is a walk by the spirit now this isn't exactly football where everybody has a their own position and they're really good at that one position a wide receiver a tailback whatever he is right matter of fact today they have coaches for every single just about our advisors for every single position to coach you up in that particular thing that you're really gifted at like you're you're really something special at that thing Well that's not the what that's not what Paul's saying here all right There's no one specifically gifted Christian that he's talking about. You know, you got your ordinary Christians, but then you got your super spiritual Christians. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those holy rollers who run on pews and stuff like that? You know, super spiritual, they got the spirit, all right? Y'all say, no, no, we don't want that kind of spirit up in here, right? Which I I do understand that concern. There are many so-called Christians who don't like the phrase, walk by the spirit. Right. They've heard people say things like, well, the spirit led me to do it. You know, well, God told me to. Well, yeah, but the thing God told you to do was against God's word. So I doubt he told you to break his own commands. Right. That's so we get scared. We get the eebie jeebies. You know, oh, my goodness. They're a spirit led church. Right. Which we hope we are. Right. Uh, And so I understand the the fear. Matter of fact, I experienced this. Uh, I had a friend (laughs) when I was a teenager who was far from God, and uh, he, um, he, he this was up in Middle Tennessee near my grandmother, where my grandma lived, and I would go up and visit a lot, and we hung out together, and uh, he got, started getting interested in the things of the Lord, and he wanted me to come to church with him to a Pentecostal church, and this is not a criticism of all Pentecostal churches. I'm sure there are Pentecostal churches where they preach the truth and, and have good doctrine, just as much as there are Baptist churches who don't right? So I'm not, this isn't a rail against all Pentecostal, but this particular church is the one I'm going to tell you about. So, um, uh, so I go up, I thought, heck, you know, he's going to any church. So let's praise God for that. I'm going. So I go and it's kind of a normal service. You know, the worship was longer than the preaching. Uh, some of y'all might Hunter, you might prefer that, but you know, uh, and it was good, good worship, you know, uh, kind of worship light, you know, and and it was kind of Bible light, the Bible, they taught the Bible, but it was kind of, you know, uh, you know, Bible light and uh, nothing unbiblical though. And uh, and then it came time for the invitation, the, the time of response. And I was growing in the Lord. And so I was accustomed to as a kid, when during the invitation at churches, I would go up and pray at the altar a lot as a teenager. It wasn't uncommon. And so we, you know, we would come up to the front and kneel down facing the stage and just pray. And so that's what I was doing matter of fact, I was on this side of the stage praying. I remember it very vividly. And and I was really doing business with the Lord. I was praying, talking to him about some things I wanted to improve in my life, blah, blah, blah. And then I started hearing people praying around me really loud. You know what I'm saying? They're praying in the spirit, all right? And they're all around me like this, you know? And I I could feel them closing in on me, you know, like they were about, you know, I could, seriously, I mean, they were getting closer. And so I, I didn't know what to do, so I stood up. And I'm still facing this way and I kind of feel awkward, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, what do I do? So I just, I mean, I just turned around and did a little Red Rover action, Red Rover, Red Rover. And I busted through the little crowd, you know, back to my seat because they were praying for my salvation, which kind of made me mad because I was saved. And, uh, you know, you're like... You, you, it, was, it seemed real judgmental and real loud. You know, they really wanted to be hurt me to hear them praying for me. Maybe they thought the devil or God was deaf. I don't know. Anyway, so that had to be louder. So I got back to my seat, and that's when it really started getting crazy. People started jumping up, running on pews, jumping over pews, hollering. I thought, what What has happened? You know, <laughs> what's going on here? All right, is this a UT football game? I mean, you know. This is getting it's getting out of hand. and um, and so, all that to say that uh, I didn't agree with their methods, right? And so I do understand our fears of walking by the spirit. Whatever it is, it's probably not running on pews, all right? But here's the thing. I don't agree with that, but I also don't agree with Christians who are scared or cringe at the idea of walking by the spirit of this intimate, really close relationship with God. I mean, some of us struggle to have close relationships with each other, much less with God, you know, and that's what Paul's trying to get at. By the way, that's the real reason I switched from pews to chairs. Chairs are harder to run on, you know, they fall over easier, and I just wanted to just nip that in the bud. I'm just kidding. Dog and relax I'm just kidding so Paul's not talking to people who are super saints that are like spiritually superior to others you know we got the spirit you don't right Paul's not even addressing elders or deacons in particular or leaders he's addressing everyone who is born again church the word walk isn't a suggestion it's a command in the imperative tense kids and students are commanded to walk in the spirit parents need to walk in the Spirit. Married people, single people, pastors, teachers, praise bands, American, Asian, African, European. Every believer in every Bible-based church in the world is commanded to walk by the Spirit. We are called as Christians to walk by the Spirit, every one of us. Second step for a good offense is every day, right? Sunday faith doesn't cut it in the kingdom of God or CEO Christians, you know, Christmas, Easter only, right? And so we know by you being here today, I'm not talking to you, all right? Galatians 5.16 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit shows us the need to yield to the Spirit every day of our lives, at home, uh, on a plane, at work, at school, uh, ball game, vacation we should always we don't take a vacation from our faith even though we take a vacation right we should walk in the spirit every day to to, the word walk is a present tense imperative it shows a present activity that's actually happening right now it's not something you should you're going to do when you get home today or you're only going to walk by the spirit when something bad comes up or something good comes up that's it's not that that's not the moment it's not a moment thing it's a it's a eternal thing. It's a daily thing. Galatians 3 verse 2 says, did, Paul says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It was clear to Paul that the Galatians had received the Spirit. So Paul's just saying, keep walking in Him. Don't stop, right? If you'll just keep walking in the Spirit, you won't get slowed down by the flesh-driven false teaching of the Judaizers. Just keep walking. The word walk is a common Pauline designation for daily conduct or lifestyle. Your lifestyle should be walking in the spirit. One scholar said the word for walk, uh in its wider usage in Greek means to walk around after someone or to walk in a particular direction. In the days of Aristotle, his students were known as peripatetics, meaning uh, they had a habit of following their teacher around literally right for the christian to walk by the spirit to be led by the spirit means to follow our teacher around y'all know you've got kids like you know my kid they're glued to their mama right they're just locked on to them that's the way we need to be with the spirit it's normal It's normal. We must listen to the Spirit's word, discern His will, follow His guidance. This is not a deeper life or a higher life. This is the normal Christian life. Normal. It's not hyper-Christian. It's not super-Christian. It's just normal to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is for every day. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It didn't show up with Jesus. It was there in the Old Testament. Nehemiah 9 verse 20 says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. In the New Testament, John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Everyone should walk every day by the Spirit. Third step for good offense is the end. Galatians five sixteen says, walk by the Spirit. It doesn't say wander by the Spirit. A Christian walk has a destination. It has an end game. It has an end goal, a direction toward which we are moving. In this series, I've read this passage a lot of times Philippians 3, verse 12, a famous passage. Uh, it says, Not that I have, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or have, am already perfect. Verse 13, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you remember a few weeks ago, or uh, I've I said recently that this word mature means like people who are mature should think of themselves as sinners. Like even though they're mature Christians, they've grown in the Lord. They've cut out a lot of these vices that weigh them down and they're growing in Christ. They still need to recognize that they're sinners in need of a savior. But mature Christians are also those who have an end goal. They have a direction that they're heading. Now I just wanna pause here and ask you as a family and as a Christian, what are your goals? If if I were to ask people outside the realm of this church what your goals are, I promise you the majority of them would be financial. I just wanna save another dollar, I just wanna go on another trip, I just wanna buy another thing. I just want to retire at 55, 65, right? They're all financial, you know, and I'm not against, you know, lawn chairs on a beach with a pina colada, all right? But that's not a spiritual goal. It may be enjoyable, but it's not a spiritual goal. It may not be against God's word, but you need spiritual goals. You need a direction. Christians should have a direction that they want their life to move in. Schreiner says that uh, we should note the tension here between God's divine power and the believer's human choice. Christians must decide to walk by the Spirit continually. Church, God doesn't call us to wander around like lifeless zombies. Walking takes willful volition. You ever seen someone who's had a stroke or is injured and they're learning to walk again? It takes sheer willpower right they've got to want to walk now they may have a trainer but walking is a choice ever seen a parent they got an eight month old you know we just saw our grandson this week you know they'll hold you hold the little baby and you're trying to get him to get his legs under him you know he's not quite walking yet and so you're kind of they're kind of walking along and then they just kind of go limp you know like spaghetti you know noodles right this is a tactic that our daughter Shiloh used to use on her older brother when they would you know fight. She'd just go limp, you know, go deadpan on him. You know. You can't make a person walk. Right? Lead a horse to water, can't make him drink, you can pick a kid up and set him on his legs, but it doesn't mean he's gonna walk. But we have the ability to do it. We have a goal, and we have a direction, and we have a destination as believers. We are not spiritual puppets. And God's not some cynical puppet master controlling the strings with zero input from us. That is not how God works. We may be unintelligent sheep, (laughs) but we can still decide to walk. Walk, get up and walk. Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say to keep from gratifying the desires of the flesh, walk by the Spirit. That's not how he worded it. He said, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Because a full tank of the Spirit doesn't have any room left over for anything else. Y'all know Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, man, you've had, you you have one good round, you piled up your plate as if you weren't going to get seconds. And then you consume basically two plates in that first one so that the second round just looked like the second round when it's actually the third round. Y'all tracking with me? And so you're over there, you're watching football, you're in the recliner, you're trying not to argue with Uncle Eddie, right? You know, you're just, you know, let's not talk politics. Let's just watch football today. It's Thanksgiving dinner, right? But then in walks Aunt Betty. And Aunt Betty, her coconut pie. I mean, you gotta have a slice of Aunt Betty. And by the way, for those of you that don't like coconut pie, this is my story, so just let me, this is my Thanksgiving, this is my Thanksgiving dream, not yours, all right? So you're sitting on the recliner, you drop the recliner down, you get up, and I mean, you literally, with the fork, you're almost having to, like, force the food in your, it's just so good, but, like, you have nowhere else. You, I mean, you just cannot, if you eat another bite, you're going to vomit, right? You know, you're that full. Are y'all tracking? I'm trying to go visual on this so you're with me. Don't act like you've never been full before, all right? That's how the Holy Spirit should be. We're so full of the Spirit, I mean, you can't get another morsel. I'm, the flesh can't fit, right? It's, there's nowhere to go for it to go. To walk by the Spirit is to leave no room for the flesh. The hotel's full, no more rooms. Take a hike, flesh, right? There's no room for you. The fourth step for a good offense is empowerment. Where do born-again believers go for the resources for, to empower their offense, right? Is, is it their own grit and grind? Is it their, their uh, winsome personality? Is it the number of degrees on their wall? Is it another podcast or self-help book? Paul says the answer for empowerment is the Holy Spirit. It's only the Spirit of God who made us free through his death on the cross, gave us a new life in him, he alone can keep us empowered in our Christian walk. It's an amazing phrase to me, uh, by the spirit walk. God attaches action words to his sovereign work, to the spirit's sovereign work. Our work and his work together meaning we're working with the Holy Spirit there's a paradoxical sense where his spirit can you know is is and the will that he gave to us are working in tandem to complete God's perfect will it's pretty crazy to think about we're working with him Earlier, I quoted Schreiner saying, Christians must decide to walk by the Spirit continually. But he goes on to say, and at the same time, the Spirit is at work to create new appetites and give new power to resist the flesh and to please God. God provides the power and a new appetite, and we can resist the flesh and please God. Church, this word, walk by the Spirit, it is a command. It's an imperative. It's not optional but did you know the next phrase in in verse 16, Galatians 5, 16 and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh that's a promise, you got a command and you got a promise every Christian is commanded by God to walk by the spirit every day in the direction God is sending us God's end goal, not ours but we're empowered by the spirit you could sum all of this up, all of our spiritual offense you could sum up in one word surrender which sounds crazy kind of sounds dumb to give up to get go up right to sit down to move forward but that's exactly what it is y'all familiar with the battle of jericho in in uh, joshua chapter 6 y'all know that battle he walked walked around the walls of jericho kind of crazy i mean like in terms of wartime tactics that's the that's the one of the most wacky wars in the entire bible the instructions for defeating this great walled city all right I mean, march around it. Hey, listen, it didn't just get wacky and crazy at, when they began to march around it. It was crazy before that. If you go back, and by the way, scholars say that, uh, and I did research on it in college, actually, uh, that Jericho was discovered, I think in the 90s, uh, archaeologically. And they caught. They believe it's at the location of Tel Es Sultan, all these, the bricks, walls that created that fell down and the way that the walls fell down created a rampart for the people to run up it said they went straight way up into the city you know in the scriptures it says that so just a little tidbit little historical tidbit for you but y'all remember the victory well, just before that victory God told Joshua to tell all the men circumcise yourselves All the men need to be circumcised. I'm not talking about a two-year-old boy who's going to get put under at the doctor's office. I'm not talking about a six-month-old, two-month-old. We're talking about grown men, all the ones that had wandered around the wilderness that needed to have the sign of the covenant back in the Old Testament. They needed to be circumcised. Crazy, crazy. Hey guys, how about this? Here's a good idea. We've got a big football match tomorrow. Let's all go have surgery today and then we're going to suit up tomorrow y'all ready all right let's go get cut on right and then we're going to go into battle sounds like a brilliant plan or not right but joshua and the people surrendered to the spirit's command and what happened joshua fought the battle of jericho jericho Jericho. Joshua fought the battle at Jericho and the walls came crumbling down. Sorry if y'all didn't grow up in in church, but that's, we used to sing that as kids if you were wondering. I didn't just make that up. All right. How did he fight? He fought with a good offense. And that offense was surrender. Church, listen. When we, we can be empowered the most when we're surrendered the most to the Spirit. Or we can gratify our flesh. Those are the two options, right? If we're submitting to the spirit, we cannot gratify the flesh. You cannot pray and look at pornography at the same time. You cannot give generously and still greedily hoard things at the same time. We cannot encourage each other and gripe and complain and moan at the same time. They, they don't go together. A good offense is more than a no to the flesh. It's a yes to the Spirit's empowerment in our lives. And that's just verse 16, all right? We need to move on to verse 17, all right? I know this may sound backwards to give the remedy before the reason, but verse 17 is the reason for the remedy, right? A bad opposition, there's a good offense but a bad opposition. The reason for a good offense is that we have a bad opposition. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Why give the remedy before the reason? Didn't they know that there was opposition already in the Christian walk? Yes. But maybe they didn't know just how bad it was. And Paul needs to remind them. Which is my first point here is that is the gravity of the opposition. How many times have we seen people celebrate prematurely? Y'all have all seen the little, all the sports lovers in here have seen the guys, the football players who break away for a 90-yard run and they flip the ball arrogantly just before they run into the end zone and, the, and it doesn't count, right? Or it fumbles out the back and it's a safety. You know, what was it supposed to be points was is actually to their disadvantage. I've seen so many of the guys that... Um, you know, they're running, they're racers, they're running track, and they're, wa- they're running across the line, and they, they begin to t- accept the chance of the crowd, the, which they think are cheering for them, but it's the second place dude who's about to pass him before he crosses the line, you know? Y'all seen those, the real. And we're not to treat our flesh that way. We, un- we need to understand the gravity of the opposition. Galatians 1 verse 4, back in the, a long time ago I preached on this, It says God who gave himself for our sins, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from the present evil age. It's always present. Galatians was written around 50 A.D. So Jesus died years before that. So what's Paul saying? He's saying it's but evil is always present. Paul's saying this ain't no joke. The battle is serious. We battle the tempting pleasures of a fallen world. We, we battle the constant attacks of Satan. And doggone it, we're at war with our own flesh, too. We cannot have a complacent posture or imagine we're somehow absolved from the fight or that the flesh won't get to us and entice us. When we have a casual attitude toward our opponent, what happens? What happens in sports when a when a cocky team comes in off a big victory and they go to the next next game and they get crushed by nobody? We lose, or at least we fail to play the game we should have played. To defeat the enemy of the flesh, we got to know the gravity of the battle and choose to walk by the Spirit. Listen, Paul. I, I, on Wednesday nights, which y'all are all invited, you can sign up for meals by Monday every week. Wednesday nights we have meal at five thirty. Got chicken tenders and green beans and mac and cheese this week. Yeah, my fave. And easier for the parents to, to to feed the kids. But uh, but at five thirty we eat, and at six thirty we have prayer time, and then there's ministries for different ages throughout the church. But I said to them just recently, I was showing them a chart of how Paul was saved when he was uh, around thirty five A.D. And then he wrote wrote, um, Galatians around 50 AD. And then he wrote Romans around 57 AD. These are estimates, of course, right? So by the time he wrote Romans, he had been saved for at least 20 plus years, 22 years, right? And yet here's what he said. 22 years after salvation. By the way, when he got saved, he was already knew more scripture than probably any of us in terms of the Old Testament. Romans 7 verse 18, here's what he said. After all that time of knowing Jesus Right. And I'm not talking about just knowing him aggressively obeying God and growing the church for 20 years, being beaten for his faith. After all of that, he said in Romans 7:18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. Verse 24, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot hide from evil. Timothy George quotes uh, church father Jerome who uh, described how removing ourselves from sinful culture can't remove temptation from our hearts listen to this this is jerome who lived in ancient back in ancient rome Uh, he said oh how often in one of his journals i guess how often i imagined that i was in the midst of the pleasures of rome when i was stationed in the desert in that solitary wasteland which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitation for the monks right I, who because of the fear of hell had condemned myself to such a hell and who had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company, often thought. So here he is in the middle of the desert trying to get away from all the sins and temptations of the world. And what does he say? While he's in there doing battle, he says, often I thought I was dancing in a chorus with girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body, and the fires of sex seethed, even though the flesh had already died in me as a man. I'm not against Christian schools. I'm not against sheltering our kids from many of the evils of this world, but you can't shelter them forever, or you'll turn into a cult yourself. You've got to trust the spirit in the lives of others. I couldn't be your pastor if I didn't trust this, I see people come and go from the church every day, right? People have highs and lows in their spiritual walk and you got to hang in there with them. Friend, you you sleep with you every night, everywhere, and you can't hide from you. Your mom may take your phone, but it's the Holy Spirit that's got to take your heart the gravity and the opposition is fierce and forever on earth, at least, right? But second is the goal of the opposition. The opponent's goal is the opposite of our own, meaning the flesh wants something the spirit doesn't. Galatians 5:17. for those who are opposed to each other, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. That's what Paul meant in Romans 7. As believers, we we do truly want. I believe you as a church. I believe you're, most of you, many of you are born again. You want to do what's right, but our flesh is aggressively opposed to us to keep us from doing the things we want. That's its goal. That's why I believe Paul said walk. Let me just explain this. One way that the flesh keeps us from doing the things we want to do is by discouraging us because of the things we've done. And I know there are people in here who feel this way. I feel it. You look back at your past and you can't move forward in your faith because you're too busy wallowing in the old dirt. You're a sinner and you're always going to be one. So repent and move, walk. I just love that he said walk, get up, move. That's what he's asking us to do. Martin Luther, the, the reformer who loved the book of Galatians, doubted his own faith Many times, it's crazy to think about such a great man of faith doubting his own salvation because he looked back at all his sins, and and uh, he actually used Galatians five seventeen. He used this verse to fight those doubts. He would preach this to himself. He would say, "Martin, you will never be completely without sin because you still have the flesh. Therefore, you will always be aware of its conflict." According to the statement of Paul, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Do not despair, therefore, but fight back and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Burton says, does the man choose evil? The spirit opposes him. Does he choose good? The flesh hinders him. And church, this this opposition helps us to understand that there will always be a struggle. So... This is what I'm trying to get at. In a glorious way, by recognizing the goal of our opposing flesh, we're reminded of our weakness, which is actually a great thing. We sang about it. In Christ alone, when we're weak, when we're weak, church, knowing we're not holy apart from Christ is a reason to keep getting up and crawling toward the grace of Jesus. Use the goal of the flesh as a weapon against the flesh. Isaiah 40, verse 29 says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Well, then I'm, I got no might. (laughs) Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. Yep. I love the positive outlook though, may fail. I mean, it's gonna, but he says may, like I'm gonna fight it, right? Right. "'My flesh and my heart may fail, "'but God is the strength of my heart "'and my portion forever.'" 2 Corinthians 12.10, "'For the sake of Christ, "'then I am content with weaknesses, "'insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, "'for when I am weak, then I am strong.'" Now listen, both unbelievers and believers sin, but an unbeliever, his will is helpless, but a believer's will is not helpless. We have the help of the Spirit. So a bad opposition can actually be an additional step to a good offense. The predictability of our weak flesh is a weapon to use against it. A good offense, a bad opposition, and lastly, a great outlook. Galatians 5.18, for if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The gravity of the opposition reminds us of our weaknesses, which is a good thing, but that's not our greatest hope. Our weakness is definitely not our greatest hope. It is a hope because when we're weak, we're strong, but it's not the biggest one. The real hope is that we're not left without a guide. We have a guide. The God who led Israel uh, with a cloud by day and fire by night. The God who put the star in the sky that led the wise men to Jesus. Jesus is the same God who sends the Holy Spirit into the lives of every believer at the moment of surrender. You don't get more of the Spirit later in your life. You got all the Spirit the moment you trusted and repented of your sin and called on the name of Jesus. He may empower you for certain tasks here and there, but all of the Spirit is accessible to you right now. And Paul says being led by the Spirit, it's as though the Spirit goes ahead of the believer leading us on the right path. And actually the verb there in verse 18 indicates that the Spirit leaves us as believers a clear path to the right course. Doesn't mean we don't wander off of it. But we, the fact that we want to stay on it and he's, is, is because He's guiding us. He's our hope. For those who have been called, for you who have called on the name of Jesus, who have repented of your sin, for forgiveness, for eternal life, we have a guide. The Holy Spirit helping us to obey him because we're already his children. Stop acting like you're not, right? Would you stand? Father God, we, we are just uh, such a pitiful bunch. <laughs> uh, we just love to sin and then hate ourselves for it. And so, God, we pray that by the Spirit, we would get up and walk. I don't know where people are in their spiritual walk today, and I'm talking to Christians right now. Lord, I, but I do pray that wherever we're at, we would start walking. I don't know what step one is. I don't know where the first footprint's gonna be in the sand, but we gotta make it. We gotta stop sitting around doing nothing and do something, act. We have choice, we have a will, and we can use it by the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us. So, God, we collectively as a church want to just say we surrender. I give up. I give up. I I cannot be good (laughs) apart from the Spirit. I want to gossip. I want to say things I shouldn't. I want to act in ways I shouldn't. I want to have, I let thoughts rest too long in the sinful mind of mine. I'm greedy, selfish, and I need the Spirit. So God, I pray this week, today, right now, we would begin walking and take action in our lives to overcome the flesh. We won't fulfill. If we've got no room, Lord, if there's no room because we're so busy fulfilling your will, so busy pursuing the Spirit, so busy walking and listening that we got no room to hear anything else, Lord, and it, then we'll overcome. We won't even have to think about the desires of the flesh because we'll be pursuing the Spirit. I pray that. Would help us to do that today. If there are people here who don't have a clue what I'm talking about because <laughs> they have not trusted in Christ and received the Holy Spirit, I pray they'd call on your name today. All they have to do is surrender everything. And so, Father, I pray that if there are hearts in here that want to surrender, they just say that to you. Just say, God, I surrender. I give up. I'm just tired of fighting with my flesh, tired of fighting with everybody, tired of fighting with you, God. I give up. I'm yours. Forgive me and save me. I don't know where I'm going to start this journey, but I'm going to start it by surrendering to you. And for others who may be believers already, you just need to make a decision to move forward in your faith or to move forward and become part of this church and begin to serve through this local body. I pray you would make that decision today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.